0: There's A city that looks For the valley of death And its glory Has never been told Where the Lamb Is the light In the midst of the night In that beautiful City of cold Where the sun, where the sun Never sets And the leaves never fade and the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold there will be no more sorrow pain sickness or death and the saints they will never grow old how I long for that city where there never comes a night in that beautiful city of gold Where the sun Where the sun Never sets, never sets And the leaves, the leaves Never fade And the righteous forever Will shine like the stars In that beautiful city of gold Where the sun Where the sun Never sets, and the leaves never fade, and the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold, in that beautiful city of gold.
1: Almost forgot about that tag at the end there. If I wasn't really paying attention to Josh, I'd have probably went to the end right away and been done, and he'd have been singing by himself. Right. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Joshua, chapter four. Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend. It's amazing the price that was paid for what we now possess i think sometimes we take it for granted whether we even realize it or not In the book of joshua chapter 4 we're going to see that they're going to establish a memorial in chapter 4 beginning verse 1 we're going to read and then we'll talk just a little bit more about some things but notice what it says here in chapter 4 of the book of joshua And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take ye twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man. Command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. And ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the lord when it passed over jordan the waters of jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of israel forever again the simple passage deals with that time when israel's crossing over jordan now well they've come across the red sea and yes Unfortunately, they spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering because of their rebellion and disobedience to God. But now, after 40 years of wandering, it's time to occupy the land that was promised to them. And so now here they are at the precipice of a great event and a wonderful era to kick off. And now we find them crossing the Jordan on dry ground. Joshua says we're going to go ahead and take these 12 stones and we're going to bring them to the other side and we're going to place them there and we're going to build a memorial. Why are we going to build that memorial? For what reason? What purpose? That the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. I'll tell you why, he says. Because every generation that follows this one will see those stones and will remember what I did. God says, I did a miracle this day. And I want that to be remembered forever. So place those stones as a memorial. So that every time a child of God looks back at those stones, he says... Remember what God did. It's been said that life hangs as nothing in the scale against dear liberty. And throughout the history of the United States, there have been men and women who have sacrificed life and limb for this country and for the freedoms that we now enjoy. Their selfless sacrifices were the seed plot of a nation of liberty. Their blood watered the soil of freedom. The freedom that each and every one of us enjoys today. Memorial Day is a time to remember and to contemplate what Americans have lost and gained. What America has lost and gained. And over the span of this nation's history, over one million men and women have given their lives to procure these freedoms that we now possess. We can put flowers on each grave, and we can count the markers, we can adorn the spots with American flags, but there is no way possible that we could ever count the lost dreams. Or the unfulfilled hopes of the broken hearts caused by so many taken in the bloom of their life. This Memorial Day, I hope you'll take the time to remember and reflect and think about the men and women who have sacrificed so that you can sit comfortably here today without threat of being persecuted. May you remember... Come November when it's time to vote The price that was paid So that you can have the liberty To mark a ballot Don't forget What was purchased with the blood Of men and women Don't forget the right That we have to knock on doors And to preach in the streets Was given to us by the blood of men and women In the past who gave their lives So that we could have a first amendment right As Many seek to take away the freedoms that we once possessed or that we still do or hang by a thread. May we always remind our government and others that these rights were paid for by the blood of those who've gone before us. I don't know if we have a right to knock on doors. I don't know if we have every right to. It's been paid for by the blood of men and women who've gone before us. On this Memorial Day, let those of us who live in a world of freedom, secured by the sacrifices of so many American lives, take time to remember them, to honor them, and to exercise with fervency those rights which they died for. A memorial, that which preserves the memory of something, anything that serves to keep in memory a monument is a memorial, if you will, of a deceased person or possibly of an event, as we see here in the book of Joshua. Now, while I was on vacation, while Sherry and I were gone, we visited the old Colonial Park Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia. Now, there are tombstones that date back to the 1700s there. It served as the city's primary burial ground for 103 years, between the years of 1750 and 1853. They say that there are 700 burial markers in that particular cemetery and roughly 12,000 graves. It's a six-acre piece of ground, folks. Among the notable memorials is one of Button Gwinnett. He lived between 1735 and 1777. He was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. But even... More worthy or noteworthy is probably his duel with a man by the name of Mr. McIntosh in 1777. He would eventually die due to the wounds sustained during that exchange of pistol fire. He has a temple-style burial marker for his valuable service in the early years of the American Revolution. And just a few days back, I walked by that memorial and was reminded of this man's service and, unfortunately, the terms of his death. All these years later, why? Because there was a memorial established. Another notable memorial was of Archibald Bullock. He lived between 1730 and 1777. He decided to focus his efforts on Georgia's defense against Britain instead of signing the Declaration of Independence. Never even signed it because he was so busy defending Georgia. His contributions to U.S. politics are far-reaching. They include his family line, as a matter of fact. Archibald's great-great-grandson was none other than President Theodore Roosevelt. You say, wow, how do you know that? Because there was a memorial established And when I went before that memorial, I saw the plaque and I read the plaque and I said, right here under this place is a man that did these things and that thing and reminded me of his escapades as a leader in the revolution. See, a memorial reminds us of the past. It directs our attention to a person or thing. And throughout the Bible, God emphasizes the need for his people to remember and to rehearse the past as well. This is nothing new for God as we see here in Joshua. God is always trying to get his people to remember what he's done and what he's done on their behalf years before. He instructs us to replay his mighty works and our many victories. And he encourages us to do that on a consistent, continual basis. Again, in our passage, the children of Israel had already wandered 40 years. And they come to the Jordan River and the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant across Jordan on dry ground. The people walk across on dry ground even as Israel had done 40 years earlier crossing the Red Sea. Twelve men are chosen. Twelve stones placed. Why? A memorial. A memorial to remember the mighty hand of God and the great victory that God had given to His people. even as the Israelites had those stones to remind them of the mighty hand of God upon them and the great victory that they particularly experienced, we too have a memorial. A memorial that reminds us of the love, life, and liberty that God has provided. Brother Kevin, where you at? You in here? You got it? Bring it up. That memorial today Is the cross of Christ Every time we see that cross Every time we view it We remember the love The life And the liberty that God Has provided for each of us Someone says well I believe that's the empty tomb Well, I have no problem with that either. But I promise you this, every time I see that cross empty, it reminds me of His love for me. Every time I see that cross without a Savior on it, it reminds me of the life that I now possess in Jesus Christ. Every time I see that cross, it reminds me of the liberty that I now possess and the freedom that I have to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's consider the love, the life, and the liberty that we possess as a result of this memorial, as a result of Jesus Christ and the wonderful cross, although gruesome, became great for us. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for these next few moments that we have together. May the word of God, Father, truly be elevated in this place. May you be exalted. May you be glorified. And Father, may you fill me with your spirit and may I be your simple mouthpiece today. I have nothing to offer your people except that which you give me. Lord, help us to be reminded once again of your great love and the life that we have in Christ and the liberty that we possess, the freedom that we have to serve you. We love you, Lord. We need you today. And if there be any that are without Christ, that have not believed on and trusted in Jesus Christ and His finished work on Calvary, we pray they'd settle that today. Well, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Every time we view that cross, we're reminded of God's love for us and for the world that we live in. Take, again, your Bibles, and we'll look at a few verses. But, of course, I'm sure you know exactly where we're turning to start with, John 3.16. How can we avoid this verse when we think about the love of God extended to the world? It's one of those verses that we'll see sometimes at a football game. Maybe we're watching the game, and they go to kick an extra point, and somebody quickly holds up a John 3.16 sign. It used to be they could hold them up for a while. Now they try to get them to tear them down. Somebody sneaks one in every once in a while still you see that? I think it's Mr. Jurgen. <laughs> Disguised. <laughs> if you know Mr. Jurgen, you know what I mean. But anyway, John 3:16, he might be listening. But anyway, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The fact is is that the Lord Jesus Christ left glory to travel the dusty trails of Galilee to ultimately make His way down to where the Earth and where, where sinful mankind dwelt, and there he would offered himself wholeheartedly to the people that he created, although they mocked him, although they maligned him, although they mistreated him, he still continued to walk those dusty trails to fulfill his purpose and calling, to ultimately hang on a rugged cross and shed his precious blood so that he could redeem fallen man. Every time we see the cross, every time we gaze across it, we can't help but think of the wonderful love of God. In John chapter 10, turn there, would you please? John chapter 10, verse 17. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. He says in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have, have I received of my Father. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ chose to lay down His life. No man took His life from Him. No Roman soldier, no Jewish... Uh, um, um, uh, d- unbeliever. It was literally Jesus himself that laid himself down on that cross and allowed himself to be nailed to it. He laid his life down. He willfully, willingly laid down his life for you and I. And the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 13 greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We talk about the love that God has for you and I. The Bible says that he literally laid his life down for you and I. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I today. A man says, I just don't believe that the God of heaven loves me. Well, then my friend, you don't believe that he died on Calvary either then. Because if you believe that today, then you must believe that he loved you. Because he laid his life down for you. How much would you pay somebody to lay their life down for you? What would you give to exchange your life for another? Yet may I say as believers today, we look upon the cross and every time we view the cross, we can't help but remember the love of God and the fact that He laid down His life on our behalf. And yet we'll find ourselves selfish and following our own desires and our own dreams and fulfilling our own goals and failing to give Him the place of preeminence and priority in our life that we ought. God, help us to remember that love. And He says today, there's a cross, and every time you see that cross, and every time you see it empty, no Savior on it, there's no more suffering any longer. He's up in heaven today, seated at the right hand of the Father. But may I say, every time I see that empty cross, I can't help but be reminded, the love of my Lord. Number two, though, every time we view that cross, we're reminded of the life that we possess in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The fact is, as we say often in our a soul-winning training that in order to fully comprehend and understand that word death, you have to go over to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. And over there it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The fact is, is that mankind will not only die once physically, but he will be separated eternally from a God who is perfect and sinless, and he will ultimately be separated in a place called the lake of fire, forever separated from him as horrible and as hellish as the fires and flames of that eternal abyss abyss is, the fact is the most wretched thing about it is that it is a Christless eternity. No love, no compassion, no God. For the wages of sin is death. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, life today is in a person. It's not in just a plan. It's not a program. It's a person, Jesus Christ. Turn if you would to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened. That word quickened means to be made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, us together with Christ it means made alive by grace. Ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches us that we've been made alive. We've been quickened. Oh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope of ever obtaining or reaching that wonderful place called heaven. We could never stand in the very presence of God in our own merit, and yet the Bible teaches us that we've been made alive, we've been quickened.. Amen. Every time we view that cross, every time we gaze it upon it, we ought to be reminded of the life that we possess in Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of church attendance, although church attendance is important and valuable. It's not a matter of giving your tithes and offering, although obedience demands it. It's not important as important that we do good deeds for others, although we should. The reality is, is that salvation is appropriated and applied and is made possible only through a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And every time we view that cross, every time we gaze upon it, every time we consider the blood that was shed on that cruel cross, we need to remember the life that we now have in Jesus Christ. You and I are nothing without Him. We have nothing without Him. We own nothing without Him sadly enough, if we're not careful and we fail to gaze upon that memorial, we fail to focus our attention on the empty cross and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can become arrogant and prideful and somehow believe that what we possess is a result of our own effort. Boy, memorials are so important. They help us to remember the mighty hand of God and the victory that we now possess And that victory Is a direct result of Him and Him alone John 10.10 10 says The thief cometh not but forth to steal And to kill and to destroy Jesus said I am come That they might have life And that they might have it more abundantly Again every time we look at that cross We're reminded of a Savior Who not only gave His life But took it back again and because he lives so can you and i turn if you would to 1 john chapter 5 verse 11 1 john chapter 5 verse 11 in 1 john we begin reading in verse chapter 5 verse 11 and this is the record That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. We need to stop there for a moment. See, the real simple question today is really this: Do you have the Son? We often talk about, Are you saved? You know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Those are all good questions. But my my friend, let me tell you something. None of those things could you answer in the affirmative unless you already possess the Son. It's a matter of do you possess or have the Son? He that hath the Son hath life. If you don't have the Son, you are dead today. Dead in your sin. You need to be quickened as we already read about in Ephesians 2 you have the son because he goes on to say in verse 13 those these things which i have written unto you that believe on the name of the son of god that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the son of god when you know you have the son you know you have life you don't have to worry about where you're going to spend eternity if you have the son because it's really a life or death issue today. You either are alive in Christ or you're dead in sin. It's that simple. And we can make it complicated and we can... you know, twist it up and twist it around and we can try to do our best to interpret Scripture and come up with our own perspective and our own ideas of how and we arrive at heaven's shore and what we have to do to get there safely. But the bottom line is this. If you have the sun in your life, you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. You have life today. You have life today because you have the sun. If you don't have the sun, then you don't have life. And You don't have heaven because he that hath the Son hath life. It's a life or death thing. Do you have life or don't you? And that question is answered only when you can say, Yes, I have the Son. I have the Son. It's been a day, a time, a place when you accepted the Son, when you received Him into your life. Every time we view the cross, it reminds us of the life we now possess in Christ. I'm glad that Christ isn't just in me, but I'm in Him. Number three, every time we view the cross, every time we gaze upon it, we're reminded of the liberty or the freedom that we now possess to serve our Lord. In John chapter 8, verse 36, the Lord says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You know, there was a time in our lives as unbelievers that we were in bondage to Satan and in bondage to sin. But in Jesus Christ, we are made free. We're no longer held captive. We're no longer enslaved by the tempter. We're at liberty to obey and to serve the master. You know, the liberty God gives us is for the purpose of serving Him. We are unable to serve God in our flesh. We're unable to serve God in our, our, our own strength, in our own effort. We need Christ. He extends this liberty to us. And this liberty enables us to now serve Him, to obey Him, to please Him. We're free to do that now where once we could not in our own self. The Apostle Paul had found himself in a number of times, a number of times he found himself in a dire strait, a bad situation. He, of course, was the butt of numerous jokes, that he was the target of evil men everywhere. His efforts to spread the gospel were met with tremendous opposition. Everywhere he went, people opposed him. In 2 Corinthians, he shares the overwhelming burden that he bears and his eventual end that lurked in the shadows continually. That eventual end that he felt and that he believed would come about was death itself. But despite the insistent attack on his life, his ministry, his body, and the inevitable end that he felt he would ultimately arrive at, Paul chooses to focus his attention toward one of the bigger, toward a God bigger than his circumstances. Notice if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He focuses on God who's bigger than his circumstances instead of those circumstances that are bigger than him. And again, Paul, he knew what suffering was. He knew what heartache was. He knew what disappointment was. He knew what loneliness was. But notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. He's finished sharing with the Corinthians how double check that verse. But he's, he just finished checking with the or speaking to the Corinthians and letting them know of the plight that he was experiencing, the difficulties that he was going through. He shares with them how he is overwhelmed, even. Overwhelmed to the point of death. And he says these words in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9 through 10. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. That's his, his answer to his problems. I can't bear it anymore. I can't deal with it anymore. And that's what Paul's telling them. He is overwhelmed with the circumstances of his life to the point where he believes death is all that lays ahead or lies ahead of him. He said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We're on the run. People are hunting us down. People are turning against me. We had that sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. We couldn't trust ourselves. We could do nothing about it anymore. We were totally out of strength. But in God, which raised the dead, that's who we trusted in. Notice what he says. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Paul says, when I couldn't do anything about it, when all I thought was available was ahead of me was simply death, he delivered me from that death. And not only that, but he doth deliver us. And, and we trust that he will yet deliver us and continue to do so. But as relevant as this passage is to Paul's immediate situation, it has a much farther reach or application for each of us this morning. See, the believer has been delivered from so great a death. And that is the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. We already read it. We've been delivered from that death by the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, But he goes on, the verse says, and doth deliver. He delivers us from the very power of sin. And finally, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver, one day he'll deliver us from the very presence of sin itself. Sure, the verse applies to a practical, historical day in Paul's life. But it also applies to us in a spiritual application in a very pertinent way to our life in Christ, who we were once dead in our sins, but God delivered us and who was bound by our sin and could not serve the living God or please Him in our own strength, but now He extends His liberty to us and we have power over sin in our life. We do not have the right to live in our sin, to continue to dwell in our sin, To perpetuate our sin any longer. We've been made free indeed. And we can overcome sin in our life. By the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Notice what the Bible says. In the book of Romans. Turn there if you would please. Chapter 6. We're almost done. The passage teaches us that we're free from the penalty. But also the power of sin. And when we consider liberty, we're talking about the freedom that Christ offers us. The freedom to once, to now serve Him. The ability to be able to please Him. Notice in Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Amen. Pretty simple, isn't it? Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. He says, listen, I have extended liberty to you, freedom to you. You are free to serve me. Finally, in that old sinful state, you could not serve me. In that sinful state, you were unable to please me. But now, I've extended this freedom, this liberty to you, and you're free to serve now. You can put aside and discard the old flesh and put on the spirit and walk in newness of life. Every time we view the cross. Every time we gaze upon it, we need to remember and be reminded of the fact that God has extended His liberty to us and we're no longer bound by our sin. We're no longer destined to fail and falter. We can overcome and be victorious because of His great liberty in our life. Certainly we need to remember those fallen soldiers today. Without a doubt, we need to be reminded of the blood that was shed and the sacrifices that were made to provide us with the liberties that we experience in this nation. God help us to never forget what He did on our behalf. The cross stands as a memorial. You may not want to wear one around your neck, and that's fine. You may not even choose to put one up in your house anywhere. That's your business. But every time you see this cross, every time I view the cross, every time you gaze upon it, I believe we must remember and be reminded of the love that He extended to you and I. The life that we now possess in Jesus Christ. And the liberty that we now have. The freedom we have to serve Him finally. May we never allow Satan to deceive us or delude us to the fact that we are children of God and able to please our Heavenly Father. And to give our very best and to die to self. To crucify this flesh and to live unto Him and righteousness the cross, a memorial. A memorial. What a wonderful memorial it is. I wonder, have you taken advantage of the love of God in your life? Have you allowed His love to transform you, to change you from sinner to saint? I'm not talking about, you say, well, I, I trusted Christ, but I'm no saint. You are if you've trusted Christ. You really are. The Bible identifies you as a saint of god however your life may be filled with ups and downs sin may be something you struggle with consistently and regularly and to that i would say welcome to the human race but we do not have to be bound by our sin and we can never use our weakness as an excuse Our sin Because we have been liberated We've been made free now And every time we see Or gaze upon that cross We ought to say God in heaven I know I'm struggling with sin in my life But I have no right to it I left it with you that day You nailed it to that cross And I am reminded That I ought to be holy Righteous Yielded, surrendered And committed to you wholeheartedly Thank you for the love, Lord. Thank you for the life. Thank you for the liberty. Have you experienced the liberty of Christ? Have you been saved, born again, forgiven? Do you have Christ? Remember, he that hath the Son hath life. That means has there been a day, a time, a place when you said, Lord, I'm the sinner you died for. I need you in my life. Forgive me, save me, and come into my life. Only you can do that for me. No one and nothing else can do that. I can't even do that. Only you can for me. And we gaze upon that cross empty and we consider a Savior in heaven at the right hand of the Father and we say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Forgive me. He that hath the Son hath life. Won't you settle that today if you haven't? And As a believer, won't you just... Be grateful as you consider this memorial today. And ask yourself, how should I respond to His love? How should I respond to the life He's given me? How should I respond to the liberty that I now have in Christ? Should I continue the way I'm continuing? Do I please Him with my life, my actions? Or do I need to remember this memorial Take to heart what He's done for me and make some changes on His behalf and for His glory. God help us today. Kevin, come get this as we pray. Father, we love You. We thank You again for all that You mean to us and all that You do for us. Thank You, Father, for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank You, Father, for the memorial that it stands for. Oh, God of heaven, help us as believers to never take for granted the sacrifice that you made on our behalf and may we live our life accordingly may we give you our very best not our leftovers father we thank you for father just the fact that you permit us to be saved and forgiven and to, to have you in our life